Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word. Jason Jimenez with you. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I'm so thankful to be with you. I just want you to know, uh, as I was just uh, preparing for this podcast, isn't it amazing the opportunity that we have to just access this type of information so easily on our devices through iTunes, SoundCloud, free commentaries. You know, you could grab any device, download uh, Bible apps, you know, the scholarly people that we have access to, the books and the commentaries. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. And I just pray that we would not get overwhelmed or discouraged or even take the opportunity for granted to study God's word. Just recently when I was with a friend, we had our Bibles open and a, and a waitress came by and she was kind of talking to us a little bit before she took our order. And I just said, Hey, do you ever read the Bible? You know, what are your thoughts about the Bible? And you know, she got emotional and she says, I believe in the Bible. And I said, well, what's wrong? And, And she says, I just don't have time to read it. And I said, do you really believe that to be true? Well, come to find out she had been going through a lot of hard things in life and was almost feeling like God has given up on her. So that very idea that she had in her mind, a false idea, right? I think that Satan allowed to be planted there, uh, prevented her, or I should say was preventing her from getting into God's word and find nourishment and strength. And so we encouraged her there. And I just want to encourage you to continue to listen to this podcast and continue to share with others because it's such a privilege. You know, this is a new thing in our ministry, uh, you know, doing these podcasts. So we pray that they are uh, blessing you and we uh, encourage you to share them with other people out there that want to grow in their knowledge of God's word. Right now, we're going to be taking some time going through a chronological reading of the gospels. And so this journey has been just awesome. I love preparing this uh, for this podcast with you. And so today we're going to be talking about the temptation of Jesus. And so there's three passages of scripture that record the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, which I'll be reading in a minute. Mark chapter 1, 12 through 13. And Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to Satan, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only 
shall you serve. And then verse 11 says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Wow. Now I have to say, and this is what is so sometimes um, frustrating. There's so much that we could talk about in just this portion of scripture on the podcast, but we have limited time. And so I just always encourage you, if you have questions, you can email me at info at stanstrongministries.org. I love to respond to you that way. Uh, but today, let's just focus on a few things about the temptation, and I'm going to answer a very important question about how we can overcome temptation in our lives by learning through this temptation, these temptations, I should say, with Jesus Christ. Now, before we begin, there's a guy named uh, Pastor Dave Guzik. He does a great job with these commentaries out there on Enduring Word. And I like what he said here, because remember, in our last podcast, we were talking about the baptism of Jesus. So he brings this remarkable contrast between the glory that followed Jesus' baptism and here uh, at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He says, Jesus went from the cool waters of the Jordan now to the barren wilderness. He went from having huge crowds to solitude and silence. Jesus went from the spirit resting on him like a dove to, to the spirit driving him out into the wilderness. Jesus went from having the voice of the father calling him beloved son and now the hiss of satan the tempter questioning whether or not he's the son jesus had the anointing there at the baptism and now he's being attacked he was in the water of baptism and now he is facing the fire of temptation he went from the heavens opening up to now being face to face with satan like basically being in hell so what a huge contrast from the baptism now to the wilderness. So let's take each one of these temptations apart and examine what is going on. Now, the first thing as we see is we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit to these gospel accounts. In Matthew 4.1, as I read earlier, it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Mark 1.12 says, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And Luke 4.1 says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, the Gospels say uh, that Jesus was tempted for 40 days. In Mark 1.13, as I read, it says that he remained in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. But there seems to be several contradictions going on here. I mean, a lot of the things I've read from skeptics and people, they say, look, there's an apparent contradiction here from Mark 1.13 to Matthew 4.1 that says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. But in James 1.13, it clearly states that we're not to blame God when tempted. So which is it? Well, there's a few answers that I want to give in response to this that can clarify um, how people can get a bit confused. First, the term led up by does not mean that Jesus was forced or coerced by the Holy Spirit. We know that according to scripture that Jesus willingly submitted himself to this type of testing. In Hebrews 5.8, it says, although he, Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Second, the Holy Spirit was with Jesus and would give him the strength needed as a human to fight off the temptations of the devil. Thus, the temptations were not designed by the Holy Spirit. They were plotted by the devil himself. Third, temptation was more commonly uh, meaning to 
to refer as testing, which implies that the wilderness was a preparation, a testing period for Jesus's mission on earth. Now, having said that, as the Spirit drove him out there to be tested, Satan took the opportunity as he was in solitude to tempt him through the testing to see if he would falter. So, you know, it wasn't a way that was determining whether or not Jesus was going to fail, but rather it was a way to strengthen Jesus as he was preparing for his ministry. So when Jesus was there, Satan came upon him to be present to attack him and, and, and not just question, but to weaken um, his abilities because ultimately Jesus would become our very high priest. For example, in Hebrews 2 verses 16 through 18, it says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when he tempted when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 reads, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Those are awesome passages of scriptures, aren't they? Now, here's what's an absolute miracle. When you look at this passage, when you look at these passages uh, regarding the temptation of Jesus, he fasted, the Bible says, for 40 days. Now, I believe this shows not just incredible discipline, but if you go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 52, when it said that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, I believe it was at this period of time, what that really means too, was that Jesus was training himself, that he was already practicing fasting, and that he, not, not as the son of God, but as a man was being disciplined. So this 40-day battle in the wilderness was Satan set the stage for Jesus's ministry. Furthermore, it's also important to note that in Mark 1, 13, um, it gives insight that the testing of Satan wasn't just three separate encounters, but literally what's going on here in the Greek was it was an ongoing battle throughout the 40 days. So that phrase, and he, Jesus, was with the wild animals in Mark one thirteen. Here's what's interesting is that many uh, scholarly people, many commentaries imply that term wild animals to possibly mean Satan's minions, like demons, not actual physical animals living out there in the wilderness. So it's interesting to think that during this 40 days as Jesus was physically fasting uh, in the world, that Satan spiritually was attacking him for 40 straight days. Could you imagine that? All right, so let's, let's break down these temptations one by one. Temptation number one is the lust of the flesh here. You see this in Matthew chapter 3, 14 and 15, in Luke chapter 4, verse 3. Now notice, Satan says, if you are the son of God, this temptation is more of a challenge on questioning the father's love for the son than as an indictment against Jesus's deity. See, Satan knew the answer. He was just interrogating Jesus at a point of physical weakness. So what does he do? He says, why don't you command these stones? 
if you are the son of God, it seems like your father who says, this is my beloved son in whom I well please has abandoned you out here, allowing you to be tempted by someone like me. See, Satan challenges Jesus to do a miracle in order to prove his deity. I believe that there's a problem that Satan has on many fronts, but one in particular was that he is a fallen angel and he is unre- he is irredeemable. And so he's saying, Satan, or Satan is saying to Jesus, hey, he's forgotten about me. Maybe he's forgotten about you. So you have to defend for yourself. Why don't you just command these stones and you do what you feel is right to do to prove yourself? Now, Jesus doesn't fall for this. And this is what's important in all of our lives when we feel like we have to prove ourselves or or we oftentimes question whether or not the Father truly loves us or has truly forgiven us, we have to respond like Jesus responded, even in circumstances where we're weak and we think that we have a case to be made to, again, prove that maybe God isn't as faithful as one would like to believe. Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, meaning temporarily, temporal means or desires to, to pursue in that moment is not what we are to live for. You may say, well, I'm lacking certain things at this moment, but that does not in any way, shape, or form um, defy or deny the fact, that the truth claim that is, that God is faithful. See, Jesus responds to Satan by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. He doesn't listen to Satan, but he listens to what the Word of God says. He doesn't make bread because Satan told him to do that. Jesus turns to the bread because that's what the Lord says to do. We need to be reminded that we may think, okay, I lack something here and now, so I'm going to go do this because I need it. And God hasn't given it to me. Therefore, I'm going to take it on my own account, my own strength. I'm going to do it on my own merit to provide for what I need. Jesus doesn't do that even though Satan was trying to get him to do that. See, that's the lust of the flesh is we jump onto something that we think we do need or and they're more wants disguised, right, as needs, but they're really wants and desires. And that's exactly where Satan was trying to hit Jesus and he didn't fall for it. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. Now, temptation number two is the pride of life, Matthew 4, 5 through 7 and Luke chapter 4, 9 through 12. Now, notice it says here that, that Satan set Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. So what Satan does is he takes Jesus hundreds of feet up on the temple from the Kedron Valley to test if Jesus trusts in the Father's love for him. Remember, he was already questioning the Father's love for him, saying, why did he leave you out here? You're hungry, so why don't you just take measures into your own hands? Now, he takes him up here to the pinnacle of the temple, and he's saying, look, if the Father really loves you, all you have to do is jump out from 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 your footing here, and the angels will catch you, Okay. Um, the father publicly declared from the heavens that this is your, that this is, that you're his son, that he's well pleased with you. So Satan's like, okay, well then why don't you test that? Now notice what Satan does in trying to tempt Jesus to do this. He says, it is written. So now he's learning from Jesus saying, okay, you're quoting the word. I'll quote the word word and Psalm 91 verses 11, 12. However, what Satan does is he takes it out of what context he he brings out a pretext and makes that a theology as a way to use God's word to convince Jesus. So, but what Satan cleverly did was he omitted in all your ways. 
And so Jesus responds, though, back and says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Jesus doesn't get defensive. He quotes Psalm, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 6.16 in defense of who God is. Jesus didn't seek out the approval of man or the approval of Satan, but he pursued a life that was pleasing to the Father. He says, you know, he's confident in his relationship with the Father, meaning, Satan, you're telling me to jump to prove that the Father loves me. I already know that. I don't need to tempt the Lord. The Bible says not to do that in order to prove his love. I need to be faithful to what his word says because I know he's faithful to me. The point in all this was, Jesus was fixated on going to the cross to prove ultimately the Father's love and his love for mankind, not jumping off the temple because Satan told him to. And temptation number three, which is the lust of the eyes in Matthew 4, 8 through 10 and Luke 4, 5 through 8, notice it says here that Satan somehow supernaturally shows Jesus all the kingdoms. Now, to what extent? We don't really know in the context of scripture, but we do know enough that they really have this broad picture. There's there are many pictures out there that envision this to to Jesus almost being above the earth and looking down on the earth with Satan. I don't know, but what we do know is that Jesus is able to take a snapshot through whatever has happened here uh, to see the kingdoms. Now, here's what we do know: God gave Adam right, remember, dominion over the earth, but rather than follow God. Adam rebelled, and he handed over the rule of earth to Satan. So now here's Satan, who the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's the God of this age. And Jesus comes on scene, who's the son of God. And he is trying to tempt him. He's trying to get him to falter. He's trying to get him to, to be weakened. He's trying to reduce him really to nothing. And he hasn't been successful. And so now, he, through the lust of the eyes, he tries to get to get. Jesus to worship him because he's saying, I'm the God of this age. I have dominion over the earth. But he realizes, you know, remember that even though he's the God of this age, he doesn't have absolute power. So he needs Jesus to recognize that by worshiping him. And let's go back. Why was Satan kicked out of heaven in the first place? As we're told in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 30, uh, 28, because he wanted to be God. And notice that Jesus responds by rebuking Satan and quoting the scripture that says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And notice it says in Matthew 4, 11, then the devil left him. So remember, after 40 days of getting hammered by Satan, Jesus was fasting and he stood fast to God's word and the angels came and they ministered to him just like when he was in the garden before giving his life up. On the cross, the angels came and they ministered to him. So those are brief little things that we can see within the temptations of Jesus. So very quickly, I want to read uh, an answer that me, that uh, Dr. Geiser and myself gave in our book, The Bible's Answers to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions. And the question that we answered was, how can I overcome sin in my life? So listen to how we respond to that question. And hopefully this encourages you. We write, temptation is always lurking. The moment you resist temptation in one area of your life, it comes knocking somewhere else. All it takes is one small slip up, and before you know it, the temptation has given rise to major sin in your life. James writes, quote, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death, end quote. 
Sin is falling short of God's holy standards. There is the sin of commission, doing things we shouldn't do, Romans 7, 14 through 20, and the sin of omission, not doing the things we should do, James 4, verse 17. Yet despite the challenges of temptation, there's hope and freedom in Jesus Christ. So what does a Christian have to do to ensure freedom from sin? The first thing is to confess the desire to sin in the first place. Paul contends, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, Galatians 5, 16. Elsewhere, Paul writes, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh, Romans 13, 14. If you keep making it a habit to clothe yourself with Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18, you will live a more holy life. But if you desire, but if your desire is to sin, then sin will overcome you, not the other way around. Furthermore, as a Christian, you have to realize that you are no longer a slave to sin. Paul writes, quote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, end quote, Galatians 2.20. A life that has been crucified with Christ is a free and victorious life. It is not a life that is overcome by evil, but a life that overcomes evil with good, Romans 12.21. Paul described a Christian life as putting off the old self and putting on the new self, Ephesians 4, 17 through 28. That's why Paul is able to say it's no longer about him, his old self, which is dead, but about his new self, which is alive in Christ. So just remember, as you're listening to this and you looked at the temptations of Jesus, notice he stood fast to God's word. We need to do the same. When you're tempted by sin, when you have failed as I have many times in my life. What are we to do? Well, you know what? Our aim is to glorify God in all things. Our focus is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with sin. Our desire is to live a life of prayer, not for ourselves. We are to grow in God's word, not in our flesh. We are to remain obedient and pure. We're to focus on winning people that are lost We're to do good works so people can see God in us. We're to utilize and and advance the gospel by using our spiritual gifts. We're to stay involved in the local church. And remember, as Titus 2.13 says, we are to live faithfully as we await the return of Christ. So hopefully, my friend, these are ways that will help you stand strong as you continue to grow in your faith. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.